Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Opening today's episode with an excerpt from a letter written on November 21st, around probably 1869. My dearest Arthur, how very kind of you to think of me on my birthday. I had no idea that you would do so. It was very good of you to write, and I am really very grateful for it. I require no remembrances of my sister's husband, as the many kindnesses he has bestowed upon me will make me remember him for many a year, and the birthday present he is so kind as to promise me will only be one addition to the heap of little favors I already treasure up. And we'll cut it there and go to the signature. It says... Believe me, your affectionate sister-in-law, Fanny Winifred Park. And uh, Fanny Winifred Park in this letter is writing to a fellow named Lord Arthur Clinton. Ah, that's right. We'll get to the, yeah, okay. We'll yeah. circle back to this part yeah. of the story. Uh, welcome to The Ridiculous History. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who are you? I'm Noel. Okay, and I'm Ben. You are still Ben. Yes, and, and that's what they call me uh, in this part of the world. And we are, of course, joined, as always, with our super producer, Casey Pegram. What do they call you elsewhere in the world, Ben? Do you have a knighthood that we don't know about? Are you a sir or a lord? I don't know if it is something you could pronounce. Oh, okay, cool. Not just you specifically. I mean, just the human tongue. Yeah, got it. It's kind of weird, but you know how it is. You get in situations, mm -hmm. you travel. Yeah, witchy stuff happens. Yeah, you make deals, whatever. <laughs> Boy, we got off the uh, we got off the rails really quickly on this one, Noel. I'm shaking my head. <laughs> shaking his head. Okay, so. The Fanny in question who is writing to Lord Clinton is someone known as Mrs. Fanny Graham, like Graham Cracker, right? Mm -hmm, that's right. And the sister she is referring to is someone named Miss 
Stella Bolton, or occasionally she will sign things as Stella Clinton. That's right. And they refer to each other constantly as sisters. Um, but in fact, these uh, two quite theatrical individuals were, in fact, their Christian names were Ernest Bolton and William Park. And they were, in fact, men who were widely known in the London theater community um, as being very successful Crossdressers, and I just want to point out right up front. Yeah, I, I thought that term was antiquated. I wasn't sure if that was like the okay thing to say, but I did look it up on mm. uh, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation uh, mm-hmm. website, which has a media section. And crossdresser is the preferred term. Mm-hmm. It does not imply um, that either individual is gay, but it's just specifically referring to someone of a gender that likes to dress like a member of another gender. And that was the case with uh, Fanny and Stella. Right. So Stella, or also known as Ernest, was born in 1847, the child of a stockbroker. And Park was born in 1846, uh, the child of a barrister, so a legal official. That's right. And Stella's mother encouraged him from an early age to kind of follow that um, impulse to wear clothing of of the uh, the opposite sex which was kind of common in Victorian era or not uh less uncommon than it is now that's right because women for a long time were not allowed to act in the theater mm-hmm. so parts uh female parts were played by men in drag right and this this was a, a an old tradition and these two people were talented actors Bolton, in particular, was known for having a wonderful soprano voice, and they both regularly played female parts in legitimate theaters. And then also at this time, some theatrical productions would go to uh, country houses. Yeah, private homes. Yeah, for of, a private events. You know, of like, let's say, um, philanthropists of the arts. They would have a salon at their house and like host some sort of event where there would be a play put on and a, a collection of various wealthy individuals from the community would go there and check right. it out. Like Lord uh, Ravingham Putin on the Ritz. Lord Pilkington of Ebsworth. Yeah, Lord Webby Toes Hand Time. Okay, you know <laughs> the of the do, do, do what you got to do of the old Northern English Hand Time Dynasty. No, oh. we're, but we are. The, the point is true, and it, and it's important thing to to mention. They were playing these female parts in theatrical productions, but they were also uh, wearing clothing that Victorian society said should only be worn by women offstage. Yeah, like in public, like right. walking around town. And um, just just to paint you a picture here, they were not necessarily professional actors. It was something they liked to do in their free time. But in their day jobs, their day lives, Ernest, um, who was 22, mm-hmm. and Frederick, who was 23. Yeah, just a year older. That's right. Frederick was a law student, and I believe Ernest was a, like a clerk um, at a, a law firm, um, and I think he ended up working at a bank as well at some point. And let's let's examine their lives a little in a little more detail. So these are famous friends. They refer to each other as sisters. They have this really strong bond, and you know they're in their early twenties. What a time to be alive, right? Glory days. They also do not shy away from public attention or controversy. The the dresses of the time, for anybody who's interested in the history of fashion, we'd also like to recommend our uh, pure podcast, Dressed, available now wherever you find your favorite shows. Uh, but their clothing that they would wear was 
incredibly complicated, at least to me. I'm like a slacks and a dress shirt guy. But it's important to note that they also dressed as what would stereotypically be considered men, too. And they would stroll back and forth uh, (laughs) at what's called the Derby. This is from a a great article on indiana.edu off the pedestal. Uh, They would attract attention because they would wear a male dress, but they would also wear makeup which was normally associated with women at the time. That's right. There were uh, several accounts of uh, folks who knew them um, around town who said that they thought that they were two gay women Mm -hmm. wearing men's clothing. And there were accounts of folks who, when when seeing them wearing women's clothing, thought they were two gay men wearing women's clothing. So, like, the gender identity is extra kind of muddled up here in in a really interesting way. The thing about it is, too, theaters in gen- in particular in, in London were kind of a hotbed for this sort of underground gay world that right. was certainly not accepted um, in the mainstream. These theaters would be a way for folks in this scene to connect with one another, mm-hmm. obviously before, you know, fa- Facebook and Tinder and Scruff and things like that. Sure. They had to have a way and also to kind of keep it secret. Yeah, there was a, another thing that occurred called a Molly House. Did you hear about this? No. So a Molly House was a term that was used in the 18th and 19th century to describe a meeting place, uh, this kind of meeting place, particularly in England. They were generally taverns, bars, essentially, coffee houses, or sometimes private rooms. And the thing about it is, at this time, any kind of same-sex activity was considered illegal and remained a capital offense until the 1860s. A capital offense meaning the death penalty and sodomy, the act of sodomy, carried that uh, sentence. Sodomy being a pretty loaded term. Absolutely. And in this context, that word refers to a particular type of penetrative sex act. Yes, that is that is correct. And it's a very important point that we're making here because this need for secrecy was not some kind of like, oh, fun marketing thing. Oh, no. Like those fake speakeasy bars that are so common in the U.S. these days. This was necessary to protect these people's lives. Well, and it just goes to show how bold Fanny and Stella were Mm -hmm. in kind of flouting this and just, you know, doing their thing and going to these uh, very public places wearing these outfits and flirting with very powerful men. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, the letter, Ben, that you read at the very top of the show Mm -hmm. was written to one of these powerful men who plays a very important part in this story. Yes, yes, we should set him up before we dive in. Good call. Lord Arthur Pelham Clinton... Uh, is an English aristocrat born in 1840, and he was, you know, creme de la creme of society at the time. He went to Eton. He was in the Royal Navy. He was in the Crimean War. He was in Parliament for three years. He was in Parliament. He had a personal connection with the Prime Minister. He was the godson of William Gladstone. That's right. This guy had what we call the juice. He had connects. Yeah, absolutely. And... He had a relationship in 1870 with Stella or Ernest Bolton. And at the time, he was technically considered a naval officer, but he was retired. And he was formerly, at one time, he had been a man of great wealth and means. 
But a few years before 1870, he had to declare bankruptcy to the tune of like, what, 70,000 pounds back then. So a little bit of inflation calculation. Casey, I don't know if we have a sound cue for that. That amounts to almost 6 million pounds today. So he was deep. He had a lot of problems, but he had found love with uh, Stella or Ernest Bolton. And we should take this time to mention the fact that Stella, um, between Stella and Fanny, was considered the more feminine looking one. And if you see pictures of them, of which there is one with Lord Arthur right. and both of them, um, Stella is has much more effeminate features and uh, Fanny doesn't even really look f- like a female in this picture. Looks is wearing kind of a sweater and has more of a uh, a cropped haircut. Uh, and it's very interesting and mentioned in several of these articles we've been looking at. One in particular on The Guardian mm-hmm. mentions the fact that when you look at pictures of the two of them and you see Fanny, you might wonder by today's standards how people may have been confused about the mm-hmm. gender of this person. I uh, see. So yeah, that's uh, that's a great article by Catherine Hughes, Fanny and Stella, the young men who shocked Victorian England. Uh, it's a review of a book by Neil McKenna, who does some great research here. I think we've we've set the scene right. They're pushing these social boundaries in a way that probably has several of their friends and and uh, loved ones saying, "Be careful." That's right. Watch out. Well, we should also just one last thing yeah. is that Stella presented herself as. Uh, the wife of Lord. Love Lord Clinton. Lord Clinton. And that's, yeah, and that's why in the excerpt of the letter we read from Fanny, that's why you hear them saying things like... Sister-in-law. Sister-in-law. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, they took this relationship very seriously. It wasn't just like some in-joke. And when you read these letters, it's crazy, especially some of the short, the shorter ones. The kind of dicey ones where like they're kind of like feuding a little bit. Yeah. Or? And it's like, hey, don't, Take what Stella said personally. She was drinking, and yeah. Or there's one yeah. where where Stella's saying to uh, Lord Clinton, "How dare you be so rude to me?" And, yes, you know it's very like you know terse kind of lovers spat kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have set the scene, Ben, mm-hmm. and now the year is 1869. Yes, the year is 1869. You see, it wasn't just civilians taking notice of the adventures of Fanny and Stella around. Town, no, the local law enforcement took notice as well, and they started following the pair, monitoring their movements. For like a year. Yeah, an intensive year. Was there real crime that they could have been uh, addressing? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Did they? London no. was a very dangerous place <laughs> right. in those days. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? 
here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avala Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. And so uh, they, they follow him for a year. And let's fast forward to a Thursday on April 28th. 1870. That's right. The pair is attending a performance at the Strand Theater in London with a uh, mutual friend of theirs. Right. Hugh Alexander Mundell. And as per usual, when they're going out of a night to the theater, they are dressed to the nines, wearing evening frocks with all of the uh, accoutrement, gloves, bodices, everything that would go along with it, lace, all of that. Hats. Yeah, the whole nine. And um, they actually have a private box. Mm -hmm. There, the detective who was following them uh, saw them meet two other people, but... As they were leaving, as you said, Noel, a police superintendent and a police sergeant had joined with the detective while the group was watching the show. And they arrested Bolton Park and this other person, Hugh Alexander Mundell, as they attempted to leave. The others escaped. Uh, The three arrested individuals were then subjected to a Humiliating battery of examinations. Yeah, that's a perfect way to Mm -hmm. say it, yeah. Uh, To establish whether they had, in fact, had that, uh, like, had experienced that sexual act, right? That they they were specifically looking for. And then they were brought to the magistrate at the Bow Street Magistrate's Court the next day, and they were not allowed to change... They were not given the option to change into different clothing. They were just kept overnight and then hauled out 
which uh, to me seems like another purposeful act of humiliation. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they were forced to stay in the jail cells wearing their wigs and everything. And there's a great quote in this uh, review of the Neil McKenna book from Catherine Hughes that describes the scene as such. After a night in the cells with wigs slipping and stubble poking through, it was pretty clear to the packed and panting courtroom that the two tarts were actually young men. Very strange way of putting it. Mm -hmm. I feel like this was old. Like, who would write like that? Why would they call them tarts? That seems really offensive. Well, it's still a British term that they use, but tart is an archaic term. That's fair. Okay, I'll go on. Their names, according to the charge sheet, were Ernest Bolton and Frederick Park. To their friends, they were Stella and Fanny. And in the newspapers, they now became front-page fixtures known as the Funny He-She Ladies. Tremendously offensive. This is when it officially becomes what's called the Bolton and Park Scandal. So at this time, there is a minor law that they could be considered breaking, which is called personation of a woman. Yeah. So it was, I think it was a misdemeanor. Yeah. It's like it's it's a lower charge. It's definitely not a capital offense. And what the court system is trying to do in the preceding legal arguments here is they're trying to prove not that these people were quote-unquote, personating a woman, but that they were engaged in unlawful sexual relations. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, it seems to me like they were trying very desperately to make an example of, of the two mm-hmm. um, in, in a really horrific way that I believe stretched up to somewhere in the neighborhood of 14 hearings. Mm-hmm. Um, and it became a total media circus because, you know, the public wanted to get a look at them because they had this like, you know— horribly offensive uh, title now with the, that was, you know, took the public's imagination by storm, the funny he-she ladies. So it became this total ship show of a trial. Right. And the, the details of the law under which they would have been prosecuted, perhaps persecuted is a better word here, uh, required the court to have a witness, someone who could say, I know and I saw this thing happening with these two people that I can conclusively identify. The problem was that despite the terrible media atmosphere of the time and the national attention focused on it, the prosecution was unable to find the witness. They were unable to prove that anything happened. That's right. But you know what one of the most galling pieces of evidence to the prosecution was, Ben? What's that? It was the fact that Stella, while attending this uh, performance at the Strand Theater, had apparently had the audacity to use the women's lavatory. That was one of the huge things. They were, I think they were already planning to arrest them. Yes. That night. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, that was, that was one of the things that the broadsheets, the newspapers of the time really latched onto. That's right, the penny papers. And here is a, uh, a pretty um, interesting and telling quote from the way this was all kind of portrayed um, to the public. There is one peculiar trait in the evidence that stands out in bold and audacious relief and too plainly shows the base and prurient nature uh, which these misguided youths, for they are but little more, must possess We refer to the entrance of Park into the retiring room, which is set apart for ladies at the Strand Theater, who had the unblushing impudence to apply to the female attendant to fasten up the gathers of his skirt, which he alleged had come unfastened. And the character we had mentioned, the husband, 
of Stella also returns to this story in a tragic way, he is implicated. Yeah, but he is unable to testify because he uh, had passed away officially on paper from scarlet fever, but, but many um, uh, whispers implying that he, he had taken his own life. Yeah, that was on June the 18th, literally the day after he received his subpoena for the trial. Yeah. So circumstances strongly point to him taking his own life. And then at the time, there was speculation, however, that before he had done this, either died of scarlet fever or committed suicide for the the uh, blow his reputation would take, right, from being implicated in this, there's pretty solid speculation that he had used those existing connections to fake his death. Pretty interesting stuff. Ah, Ben, and not to muddy the waters here, we'll get back to the conclusion of um, uh, Fanny and Stella's story, but there's another uh, bit of implication that after he supposedly either died or disappeared, another woman woman identifying as male in dress impersonated him. Yeah. And used his name to defraud... Uh, other wealthy individuals of of money. Yeah, Mary Jane Ferno. That's uh, that's her given name, and she was claiming to be Lord Arthur Clinton. And to double money this, or to money it further, while uh, while pretending to be Lord Arthur Clinton, uh, Mary would also sometimes dress as a woman. So dressing as Clinton, dressing as a woman, uh, arguing that it was to throw people off the trail. Mm-hmm. Complicated. Yeah, yeah. Layers. Big time. Big time. But, uh, so, but yeah. you know, we, we kind of already spilled the beans that there's yeah. a happy ending to this story in that they were acquitted or, or that the, the jury did not convict. Yes, they were finally acquitted. And the problem here is that, I mean, we could talk about how, how they were acquitted. So the prosecution was not able to prove that there was any offense committed under the laws of the time. And they also, despite the personation of a woman misdemeanor charge, they weren't able to get that to stick either. After the Lord Chief Justice uh, presiding, a guy named Sir Alexander Cockburn, summed up the prosecution's case, he said that the prosecution's case was garbage juice Mm -hmm. and that the police were acting unprofessionally. And then the jury took about 53 minutes to deliberate. They found both individuals not guilty. So imagine the emotional roller coaster, right? And it's pretty cool because uh, one account that I read um, says that when that non-guilty verdict was rendered, everyone in the gallery um, exclaimed with shouts of bravo, so, you know, they were well-liked in the community, and they were known. And mm-hmm. uh, it seems as though at least the people in the courtroom that were there to support them um, were kind of in their corner. Yeah, yeah. And this this leads us to a larger social context here, too. One thing I really appreciated about Catherine Hughes's article was noting the great changes in society that were occurring at the time, right? In 1870... The Republican movement was reaching a tipping point. The work of Charles Darwin was propagating out through the world. Uh, Paris had, quote, become a commune. And 
there was this cultural ecosystem in which this trial occurred. This finding had later consequences on the world of English law, especially when it comes to uh, gender identity. That's right. It's something we haven't mentioned, but um, at this point, they did not make distinctions of of gay people. It was more distinctions of acts. Right. So no one would have referred to Fanny and Stella as gay. No. That didn't come until much later, several decades later, in fact, with a case involving someone I believe who you know well, Ben, um, Oscar Wilde. Yeah, I am Oscar Wilde about him, but uh, we have never met. <laughs> I, am, I am a big fan. Yes, legendary writer, poet, author of uh, The Picture of Dorian Gray. Oscar Wilde uh, was born in 1854. He was alive while these things were happening. Not that much, not that much younger than Fanny and Stella. So he was also eventually uh, sent to trial because his sexual identity became a problem for the government of the day. Yeah, and that's the thing, Ben. We're talking about some of these um, changes that maybe were happening in the public consciousness. Mm -hmm. But as we know, the gears of uh, justice and uh, the legal system grind uh, pretty slowly. So they, they certainly were not caught up to any of these kind of like awakenings. Yeah, it's... We see a a similar thing with cultural change and technological change. The world of legislation takes a while to catch up, even at the best of times. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. 
With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Oscar, much like Stella, was dressed in what would be considered feminine attire for much of his early life because his mother had expected and wished for a girl. Ben, how would you describe the way he dressed later in life when he was a much more known figure? He certainly didn't dress. He dressed in men's clothing, but not the typical kind of men's clothing that the gentry would wear. He had expensive tastes. You know what I mean? He was going for uh, sophisticated fabrics. He had very particular concerns about dress. He liked what we would call the good life. That's right. You know? And unfortunately, he had to end up in court attempting to defend his own sexual identity. The the first case, actually, the first trial, uh, occurs when he sues someone for libel, right? That's right. Uh, he sued a gentleman whose name escapes me at the moment who actually left his personal calling card for Wild. Some, I guess I'm imagining a front desk situation at a, a gentleman's club called the Albmeyer. And on it... Um, he uh, accused him of being a, quote, sodomite. Right. And Wilde received some mixed advice or conflicting advice from his friends and then from some other people. And they, some people said, a lot of them said, just let it go. Don't worry about that guy. And then uh, he decided that he would initiate a private prosecution for libel uh, since the note amounted to a public accusation that Wilde committed what was considered a crime. So this guy, uh, the Marquis Queensberry, is arrested, and the charge of criminal libel at the time carries a potential two years in prison. But here's the thing, Noel. Under the Libel Act of 1843, Queensberry could have avoided this prison sentence if he demonstrated that what he said was true. That's right. Wilde kind of put himself in the crosshairs there, didn't he? Mm-hmm. He did. And against, again, against the advice of his friends. And it also exposed his private life to the public. And people started to learn details about the people that he associated with, right? Uh, the people that he had romantic relationships with, a team of private detectives started diving into, what would you call it before? Like the Victorian underground. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which was, which was absolutely. Thing. And by the way, at this point we're in early Edwardian times. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And the press and the public is in a state of just almost rabid hysteria. By the time the trial opens in 1895 in April and the problem was Wilde started to know this wasn't going to go his way, so he dropped the prosecution. Queensbury was found not guilty, and the court said that the accusation was true in substance and in fact. And this this ruling also left Wilde on the financial hook mm-hmm. for uh, the legal cost of the person who had insulted him, and Gosh. then yeah, and it made him go bankrupt. And, and, and we, we should say that the reason 
the Marquess of Queensbury had such a problem with Wilde is because uh, he purportedly Wilde had had a relationship with his son, Lord Alfred. But it wasn't this trial that that did Wilde in the way that we know he ultimately got done. Right. Yeah, exactly. There was a another trial that occurred. So after after Fanny and Stella's famous trial, we fast forward a few years and we arrive at something called the Criminal Law Amendment Act of 1885 that said any sort of same-sex act of of any type was against the law and Wild, after he had left this, you know, he had left this other trial, right? This libel trial dropped the prosecution. There was a warrant for his arrest put out on the charges of sodomy and gross indecency. And people gave him conflicting advice again. Some people said, go to Dover and hop on a boat for France as soon as you can. Seriously. And then his mom said, no, stay and fight this. And Wilde was arrested on April 6th. And then he, the, the events moved quickly. He was convicted along with Alfred Taylor on May 25th of 1895 and sentenced to two years hard labor. But what is, what is that? Yeah, it's weird. You would think it would be something functional, like what we think of today where they have inmates like pressing build, building stuff plates. or pressing yeah. license plates. But in those days, it was like these bizarre menial tasks of like unraveling rope for hours and hours at a time. Things like that. Just like psychological torture? Really strange. Wow. And he was incarcerated from May 1895 to 1897, or 18th of May 1897. As soon as he was a free man, he sailed immediately for France. He never returned to the UK, and they lost one of the greatest literary minds of that generation. And I do just want to mention that unraveling rope apparently is kind of functional because it's old rope and you unravel it so that you can recycle it, I guess, to make oh, new rope. Okay. And they would also make like caulking uh, compound, you know, for like construction. Okay. So it's not. When like, I first read it, yeah. I thought it was just some sort of bizarre, tedious task to make Me them too. go insane. So it's not like the thing that you hear about in the military where someone makes you dig a hole and then fill it back in right. and dig it again. Yeah. Or listen to like. Black Sabbath with headphones on at like <laughs> I, insane volume. I thought you were about to say it or listen to podcasts. Yeah, that can be tough too. Um, but hopefully this one wasn't tough. And I know we went uh, a little farther into the Oscar Wilde thing. It wasn't really the main topic of this episode, but it's a really important full circle. And he did in fact end up getting incarcerated. And when he was incarcerated, he has this amazing quote that I think is so prescient. It's really, really important. Um, the idea of the love dare not speak its name. And I think we should maybe end end on this. And he refers to this as being, in this century, misunderstood. So much misunderstood that it may be described as the love that dare not speak its name. And on account of it, I'm placed where I am now. It is beautiful. It is fine. It is the noblest form of affection. There is nothing unnatural about it. It is intellectual, and it repeatedly exists between an elder and a younger man. When the elder man has intellect and the younger man has all the joy, hope, and glamour of life before him. That it should be so, the world does not understand. The world mocks at it and sometimes puts one in the pillory for it. And what he's doing is basically just describing any kind of same. I mean, he's talking about this intellectual bond between an older and a younger man. But I think what he's really describing is any kind of same sex attraction or affection. Yes. Well said. Well said, Noel and Oscar Wilde. Uh, This guy's work is just rife with these amazing quotes you know one of my favorites was always be yourself 
everyone else is already taken. It's pretty good. That's pretty good. Hey, and that really applies to uh, <laughs> Fanny and Stella. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, we got there. We did. <laughs> Uh, so we want to thank you all so much for tuning in. Of course, thanks to our super producer, Casey Pegram. Thanks to Eve's Jeffcoat, who helped us with the research for this episode. Uh, I thought this one was uh, was was pretty wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and what happened with Oscar Wilde? Did he, he didn't die in prison, did he? No, he did not die in prison. Good, because that would have been a bummer. <laughs> I know, I've, I'm, I'm laughing just because he went out like, he's just such a cool dude. Okay, so he died bedridden in... November of 1900, specifically November 30th, and <laughs> apparently the whole time he was there, he was complaining about the way the like the room was decorated, and that's why reputedly his very last words, the one that most people attribute to him, is "This wallpaper is terrible. One of us will have to go," and then he passed away. Oh, I hope that's real. I hope it is too. He's got such style, you know. And as for Fanny and Stella, uh, I couldn't find really anything about what happened to them at the end of their lives. Could you, Ben? No, no. It got a, it, it got a little bit murky. But you can understand how they would want to retire from public life. Absolutely. After that, right? well, what a what a like that's like the trial of the century. So we can only hope that they were able to find uh, some privacy and some dignity that the the press apparently could not afford them at the time. That's right. And we we uh, we added in some more stuff mid thank yous. So let's <laughs> let's get to it. Right. Right. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, Find us on Instagram. Find us on Twitter. Find us on Facebook. Hang out with us on our community page, Ridiculous Historians, where you can meet your fellow audience members. And thanks to Alex Williams for composing our theme, and most importantly to you for tuning in to another episode of Ridiculous History. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.